Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. The Tim McKernan Show presented by Verizon, our new sponsor here on the program. Verizon wants you to keep up with your favorite team on a new Verizon smartphone. And right now, when you switch to Verizon Unlimited, you can get up to 50% off the best smartphones like the Samsung Galaxy S9, the Google Pixel 2, or the iPhone X with eligible trade-in. So switch to Verizon Unlimited. I've been a client now for 10 years. It's America's best unlimited plan on the most awarded network and never miss a game. Whether you're at work, the gym, or in rival territory, Verizon Unlimited lets you stream every nail-biting, heart-pumping, unbelievable moment this season. Stop by your local Verizon store to get up to 50% off the best smartphones with eligible trade-in. Score big this season with the best unlimited plan on the best network, but you better hurry. Shop Verizon today. It's Verizon, the sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show. Up to $999.99 device payment. Purchase required. Less up to $499.99 trade-in credit applied to account over 24 months. The credit ends when the balance is paid or line terminated or transferred. 0% APR trade-in must be in good working condition and good cosmetic condition. We thank Verizon for getting on board as the title sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show and advocate that you... Support the sponsors here on the program because they make the whole thing possible. And I can tell you firsthand that there's no better network than Verizon. That's why we have been clients for a decade. Excited to do questions from the audience. I love doing questions from the audience. In a way, I'm continuing to be surprised by the response to questions from the audience uh, as far as downloads go with some of our interviews. Not all the interviews, but some of the interviews, whereas questions from the audience gets more downloads than some of the interviews, which is not something I necessarily was anticipating when we decided to start this podcast now, I don't know, about eight, nine months ago. So uh, I like doing it. And this time now, the Plowhawk, uh, who is normally in on questions from the audience, he is running the board until noon at 590, the fan KFNS. And so uh, we'll, I'm sure, have the Plowhawk and Iggy return for questions from the audience. But I thought, you know what, I'll just come in here. And I'll take questions directly, and then that way some of them can be some topics that perhaps wouldn't apply to Iggy and Plowboy, and uh, we'll just see how it goes. I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll, and here's the other thing I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to answer every single question that is asked. Now, some is probably going, some are probably going to get more detail than others, 
but that's what I'm going to try to do. You can post the questions on the TMA fan page. You can tweet them at me at, at T. McKernan, and you can email them to me at T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. All we ask is that you subscribe to the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network and the Cat Chat on the Inside STL Podcast Network, uh, and that you support our sponsors. And Verizon is our title sponsor. Thrilled to have Verizon on board. And Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com, the sponsor of our studios. And that goes back to the very beginning of this podcast, which is now coming up on uh, being seven months old, as a matter of fact. Uh, And we're thrilled that we have been able to launch this thing. And it is gaining traction because I love just sitting here and talking with the guests we have had and answering the audience's questions. We are in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, and I am in the midst of doing business with the HomeLoanExpert.com. So it allows me to speak with even more firsthand knowledge than before when it was just a case of, oh, my sister's done business with them, Doug's done business with them a couple of times. Now I can tell you I'm in the process of doing business with them. And the thing that impresses me the most is the customer service. Now I know that five minutes can save me $500. And I'm in the process of actually uh, switching loans from a 30 to a 15. But whether you want to buy a home, whether you want to refinance, go to the HomeLoanExpert.com. And these days it's so Simple. I don't know if you're like me. I hate getting on the phone unless it's an absolute necessity. So I either I'm texting or I'm trying to take care of business online. And that's what the HomeLoanExpert.com allows you to do. You go there right now. Check it out. See it. And you click purchase, click refinance. Next thing you know, you're entering your information and you're finding out how much money you can save. Or if you've been eyeing that house for a while, how much your payments will be. It's all there for you at the HomeLoanExpert.com. Ryan Kelly and his great staff, the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan show. So with that all said, we've had some phenomenal guests. I'm back in St. Louis now, which allows me to sit in the studios and do questions from the audience. And this time, no Plowhawk, no Iggy. Plowhawk on the board for Frank Cusimano at KFNS. And I thought, well, I don't want to just put Iggy here. So we'll get everybody back together when maybe we record one before the Ryan Kelly morning after. But for, for the next few, I'll just sit here and we'll, we'll take the questions and we'll see where they go. I don't know where they're going to go. I haven't looked at them all either, so you're going to hear them for the first time uh, similarly to me. And the the first one has to do with the Ryan Kelly morning after email of the day. And the question is, does the newer world order snowball from here? I'm going to attempt to answer every question. I'm probably going to get boxed in and have to decommit from that attempt, attempted pledge. But we'll start off. Can I answer that question? Of course I can. Do I think it's that interesting of a question? Engine Joe's cave ride magic man. No, I don't. And I think you're better than that, quite honestly. Uh, Do I think the newer world order snowballs from here? I think it actually has the potential, and I like the angle Cucky is taking with the heel turn because he's probably one of the kindest and most likable people I've met. Uh, So the heel turn thing is totally unnatural for him, uh, and I'd like to see it pick up. I don't know if it will, but I hope that it does. Uh, Question number two. Some of these are going to get 20-minute answers. Some of them are going to get answers like that. Have you never asked a question in an interview because of what the answer would be? Or could be, have you never, it's like a double negative, I feel like, even though I only see one negative. Have you never, so I guess it's asking if I avoided asking a question in an interview. So I like the question because it makes me think of interviews. And there are a number of times I can think of in my career where I'm trying to feel out the interview subject to see what kind of mood the person is in. And then if the person's in a good mood, then perhaps go a little deeper than I was initially planning to. But if the person's in a bad mood and the answers are short, the body language tells are such that it's clear that he or she does not want to be doing the interview, 
then that is, that's where I am. So I'll give you a recent example. I'm going to give you a recent example, and I'm going to give you an older example. The recent example would be the Marcus Allen podcast. Um, I'm going inside baseball and questions from the audience. I'm, I'm attempting to uh, give as much as I possibly can in these things. Uh, and I haven't talked about this, but I'll talk about it now. So to give you some value on the uh, QFTA, an incentive to ask whatever you want to ask. And uh, the Marcus Allen interview. Now, as many of you may know, in the O.J. Simpson Made in America, um, the ESPN award-winning docu-series, it is reported, I guess, I don't know if that would be the proper way to describe it, that Marcus Allen was having a relationship with Nicole Brown Simpson. And it's insinuated that that put O.J. Simpson over the edge. And O.J. Simpson and Marcus Allen were very close, going back to USC, the NFL, and just enjoying themselves uh, as NFL players in Los Angeles. And so, you know, I've played golf now with Marcus Allen and had lunch with him the day we did the interview. And, you know, you just, you kind of get a gauge on what you can ask and what you can't ask. And that wasn't something I was planning on asking. But about 15 minutes in, and some people are like, why not, pussy? Well, you know, you, you need to do your podcast and then sit down with Marcus Allen and bust that out and then see how long the podcast lasts. That's my, that's my official pro tip. But here is where I'm coming from. To me, it's a feel thing. And I have to tell you, the first 20 minutes of the interview, I'm kind of like, he's really getting comfortable, even though we don't know each other that well. And I'm wondering, as I feel like he's getting comfortable, if I can, if I can talk about OJ. And not necessarily, of course, you know, some of the details, but, uh, you know, talk about his relationship with OJ Simpson and then just see where it goes. But the thing is, and if you go back, if you haven't listened to the Marcus Allen interview, I certainly would recommend it anyway. Uh, and if you have, and you want to go back and kind of listen to what I'm talking about with reference to this, I think of all of the people I have interviewed so far, and I don't know how many interviews we're at now. It's got to be, if you just do the math on eight months worth of interviews, we've got to be around 35 uh, interviews. I felt like Marcus Allen was the most polished interview of everyone, which isn't a compliment or a criticism. It's just the observation. One can take it however he or she wants. My point being on that is it was almost like a game of poker where I would ask a question and actually the intent sometimes was not to stir the pot. Like, for example, I asked him about Bo Jackson and he immediately gave a little but then pivoted off because, in my opinion, he didn't want to cause something that would get back to Al Davis's son, Mark Davis, that would then come off as uh, he was complaining about something about Mark's late father. Uh, and so he would just so smoothly redirect it. I mean, it was like I was like, you know, a shooting guard and he was Dikembe Mutombo and he would just swat it away effortlessly. But it was it was swatted away so effortlessly that I didn't even realize I was being rejected until I would try another thing that I didn't even think was that big of a deal. And he would swat it away effortlessly. And the swatting away wasn't like, ah, I don't want to talk about it. He would talk about it a little bit and then just like, just segue into something else. And I'm like, man, this guy is good. Hall of Fame running back, Heisman Trophy winning running back. But he is absolutely 
so smooth when it comes to handling interviews. It was it was something else. I was I walked away from it going, this guy, if he wanted to run for office, he would be perfect because he can absolutely uh, tell great stories. He's charismatic, very intelligent. But as far as making sure that he navigates an interview without uh, causing any problems, he was perfect. Uh, not necessarily uh, what what the listener may want to hear because the listener wants to hear him say everything. But as somebody who does interviews, uh, I was sitting there thinking to myself, man, I know what he's doing. And we're not talking about what he's doing, but he knows what I'm doing and I know what he's doing. And I, I see the whole game and I, I respect the game, even though I wish he weren't playing the game, so to speak. Now, with that said, here's one that that is probably, I guess, in my career, the biggest surprise interview. And even though I'm sure of the people listening to this, maybe 5% even saw it. And it was an interview I did with Barry Bonds. And this interview took place when I was 23 years old, maybe 24, uh, and was in my first year at KMOV. And when I started at KMOV, I was a huge, and still am, but a fanboy Cardinal fan, a fanboy Cardinal fan. I mean, I remember walking into that clubhouse for the first time and being in awe of seeing Mark McGuire and Jim Edmonds and Eric Davis and Daryl Kyle and Ray Lankford. Uh, who else was on that team? It was a good team, a fun team. Eventually, Will Clark, even J.D. Drew, I think just might be younger than me or right around the same age. Rick Ankiel, who was younger than me. My point being, I was a fanboy. And as a fanboy, what would happen would be I would go in there and think, oh, I'm a fan, so they're going to be really nice to me. It didn't even cross my mind that they weren't going to necessarily want to do interviews. And then I covered the team for a day, and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be real easy. These guys don't want to talk to me, or really anybody for that matter. And it hit me that as I'm trying to get interviews, and we had an hour-long show on KMOV called Sports Sunday, that uh, getting these interviews was going to be very difficult. Like, as I wanted to do sit-down interviews, similar to what I'm doing with the podcast, that's what I wanted to do with television. And it was clear that was going to not be easy to get people to sit down and do it, much less even talk. Uh, so... Uh, it, it became like a hobby for me after like a month of realizing I was going to get told no and or to go fuck myself uh, anytime I asked for an interview, not anytime, but maybe 80% of the time. Uh, and so I had to be careful with that uh, because uh, it was a case of, you know, am I going to irritate these guys by asking for too many interviews? So I picked my spots. And then when big time players would come to town, I'd like joke about about how they were going to tell me to get lost. So Barry Bonds comes to town and I'm like, oh, Barry Bonds, this will be great. I can't wait to see how he tells me to piss off. So I go up to Barry Bonds. Sure enough, he legitimately did have a leather recliner in the Giants locker room. That was not a myth. I saw it with my own eyes and he was sitting in it. And I walked up to Barry Bonds and I said, Barry, want to do an interview? And he's like, man, what do you want to talk to me about? And I'm like, wow, that was that seems like there's an opening there. And I said, I don't know, you're like good and stuff, which was kind of my Beavis and Butthead response. And he goes, I don't know, give me a few minutes and I'll think about it. And I could not believe that there was a chance that Barry Bonds was going to do an interview. Now, at the time, I, th I thought it was a big feather in my cap uh, that, that, these, this, that Barry Bonds was going to do an interview with me. Looking back on it, I was 23, probably like four, four feet eight. And if anything, he looked at me as like some kind of freak creature that was employed 
And so he was just going to humor me by doing an interview. But of course, being as arrogant as I am, I thought this was some uh, endearing sentiment that Barry Bonds wanted to finally get some things off his chest. And of course, he's going to do it with the number three guy at the KMOV Sports Department in Market 21. So sure enough, he comes out and and he sits down in the Giants dugout and we're doing an interview. And and I look back on it, and I, and I have to say, my ignorance led to a great interview because I wasn't cognizant of how aggressive my questions were. And I can specifically remember, we're sitting in the Giants dugout, it's probably 6.30, so the game, you know, is 45 minutes away from starting, and all of these people are screaming at him. Now, he hadn't broken McGuire's home run record. This was either 2000 or 2001, but he's Barry Bonds, and he's infamous for not wanting to do interviews, and if and when he does interviews, uh, not exactly being real loquacious. And he's giving me all of these great answers. I mean, it was unbelievable. It really was. I need to see if I can get that interview and put it up on YouTube because uh, it was something that else. And I remember as we're talking, I, I asked him about his reputation with the media, and, and, and it was a great answer. And he said, you guys don't understand it. We don't get paid to do interviews. We don't. And then the thing is, we do interviews and then you edit them and then still say terrible things about me. So why would I do something for free and all you're going to do is rip me anyway? So that's why I've decided not to do it. And I got to tell you, he was making sense. Now, I talked to a couple of other players and, and told them what he said. And he said, no, I totally disagree with that. But that's what he said. And I have to say, I still, 18 years later, understand where he was coming from. Now, on this next question, which... You might think sounds ballsy, but, you know, I, I, would, I, I think I would ask this one again. There are all these fans leaning over the Giants' dugout, and they're screaming for him while we're doing the interview, clearly not respecting my mad game. And, and they're yelling, Mr. Bonds, Mr. Bonds, can you please sign this? Please sign this. So he gets done answer, answering a question. I say, you know, it's like these fans right here. If you go over and, and spend five seconds signing a ball for each one, that's a lifetime of memories for each one of them, for what you would take five seconds. And he goes, I understand what you're saying. He goes, but I got to get ready for the game. This is our job. And and if I sign everybody's, there'll still be somebody I don't sign and they'll be mad. And so it's a no-win situation. Now on that one, I disagree and I'm paraphrasing and he might've had more detail in the interview, the, the answering the question in that interview than I provided. But my point what is is I wasn't going. So what's it like to play in St. Louis? And what do you think of the Giants' chances this year? And what's it like to hit the ball far? All of that stuff. I look back on and I asked the questions that, as a fan, but then also just kind of like as a person, I was interested in. Which I guess is what I'm doing here with the podcast. Eighteen years later, um, and so when people say, "Man, you do a really good job on interviews," I think to myself, "I don't think I'm doing anything." special at all. I'm just asking the question that I personally am interested in, which is why when some people will make suggestions on guests, and oftentimes the suggestions are great. Now we got to stay within the realm of reality. President Trump, President Obama, they're not going to be sitting in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. At least I don't think so. Maybe in year two. But, you know, sometimes they're from people from fields that I just personally have zero interest in. And so therefore, even though the guest might attract attention the interview won't be good because I can't fake my interest in it. I can't. Every single person you have heard on this thing, I have been interested in at least a part of their story, if not the entire thing. And the questions come from 
my legitimate fascination with their story or with their opinions on a story. And so it's just natural. It's probably why the things sometimes go 90 minutes or even longer, I guess, in some cases, just because it's a conversation. And to me, those are the best kinds of interviews. But on the other side of it, to go to what the question was about being cognizant of asking questions and not wanting to piss somebody off, uh, yes, I'm absolutely aware. As a matter of fact, I I can think of a, a variety of interviews where it's been on my mind, but then it just becomes more of a feel thing as to whether or not you feel like this is the time to ask that question. And, and within 10 seconds, usually of an interview, I know whether or not I'm going to ask a question that I went into it wondering if I was going to ask about. For example, here's another one. I'll give you another one. I want to give you cog, uh, tangible, uh, I- I- concrete examples. Mike Bush and Bob Richards. The Mike Bush interview, uh, one of the most downloaded interviews so far of the show. Uh, and I went into that going, you know, I know Mike. We were both doing sports at the same time, sports TV at the same time. And I haven't seen him in years. And I don't know if it's something he's talked about. You know, I can't imagine he's like wanting to talk about. And this is Bob Richard's suicide, the plane crash. Uh, he's a weatherman in St. Louis. I realize I talk about the stuff like everybody knows. And I know the audience, plenty of the audience in their 20s and don't even know what I'm talking about. But he was the weatherman at KSTK. Um, and, and I was feeling out throughout the first part of that interview whether or not Mike was at a comfort, comfortable spot to talk about that. And I felt like he was. I asked the question, and we wound up having a great discussion on it. It's like I said, it's an intuition uh, that I think anybody, if you do this stuff, you would have it. And you can't just force it. When you force it, that's when you get into trouble. Um, now, sometimes in the past, the podcast is a different situation. People come on this thing now at this point, and they know it's going to be about an hour conversation, especially locally. Um, and if not, like Joe Thomas, Julie Stewart-Banks, who aren't based in St. Louis, I'll ask them in advance, or Seamonster will ask them in advance how much time they, they have, and then we know. And then if they go, they, we got 15 minutes. Then I know at that point this thing's going to be different than what we usually do because we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. So with that all said, when I was a news or sports reporter, you kind of you go, God, I got to ask about this. I know it's going to be brutal, but I've got to ask about it. And that would sometimes lead to the famous Tony La Russa, you know, attacks. But you got to do it. You got an obligation to do it. The podcast is different because the people have arrived here anticipating being asked questions, whereas somebody might have just lost a heartbreaking game in extra innings and they may be the goat uh, of the loss. And now you're uh, asking them how it blew up and you got to ask them and it's going to piss them off. But that's the job. So there's a difference there as well. So there you go. Somebody asked one question I gave you. I don't even know how long I went, but probably 10 minutes or so on that thing. Uh, what will be the best thing to happen to the city of St. Louis in 2018? Um, on that, I'm sure the conversation is more about a civic potential positive. I don't know what really would be in the mix for that right now. So my answer is not going to be great. So I'll take it from a sports standpoint. And as I sit here on April 18th answering these questions, so you can go back and make fun of me if I wind up being wrong, I think the Cardinals are going to be really good. Now, is that is that going to be a landmark moment for the city of St. Louis in the direction the question I think was intended to ask? Uh, no, um, because we've seen world championships here in the last 13 years, and it's not like the city has been trending majorly upward because of world championships. But as far as a great thing, 
I really think the Cardinals are going to be a great team. Now, injuries can blow that up, but I think there's something to be said for the rotation they have and also the depth in the bullpen. The question to me is, is what they have with some of their position players who at this moment, at this moment, are well below where they have been historically or where their projections would be for 2018. But I am bullish on the Cardinals. And uh, as of this moment, they're in the midst of a five-game winning streak, but I was bullish on the Cardinals before the season. Uh, to bounce off what Craig was talking about, have there been any questions that you were nervous about asking and maybe didn't go through with it? Did you end up finding out the answer? Um, and that's Like I said, I'm going to just try and answer every single question if I can. Uh, so I'm not skipping anything. So I think I've already answered it in that sense. Um, and you know, I don't, there was one time it was the, it was the weekend Daryl Kyle passed away in Chicago in 2002. And I was up there covering the situation. It was after the Cardinals had played the Cubs and it was a Sunday night game. The Cardinals really didn't want to play the game. As you can imagine, their teammate had passed away the day before and they lost. It was like it was a zombie-like performance, as you can imagine, because they just didn't want to be there. And I think one of the guys, I feel like Isringhausen might have told me that they might not play for a few days because of the wake and the funeral. And I asked Tony LaRussa about that. And honestly, in the, in the press conference, and there had to be 100 reporters there, and it's at Wrigley Field, and I don't know what the situation is now there, but in 2002, I mean, for real, it's it was like being... In a, in, a, in, a, in a tiny, tiny room. So it's a bunch of people packed in. It's not like a media room. And I asked him about it, and he, he kind of dismissed the question, and I followed up by saying, well, I talked with a couple guys on the team, and they say that that's, that's what it's looking like. And he turned and looked at me, screamed at me, and was like, are you really going to ask this stuff right here, right now? Are you really? As if I was, and I'm like, wow, I didn't really think that the question was out of line. I really, I still don't, 16 years later. Um, and as I found out, I think they did get reschedule games because if you remember, they had the Kyle Memorial service at Bush stadium. Um, but you know, that was a question that I felt like I had to ask. And, uh, and I guess in LaRusse's mind, he felt like it was inappropriate at the time. And I guess if I could go back, what I would do differently is I would ask Tony away from the cameras and that way I could still get the information. Uh, but I didn't know if he was going to be around. And that Wrigley Field clubhouse is so small. It's not like the media is able to get in there and, and ask questions. So uh, that's the uh, that's one where I got lit up, and I didn't necessarily think I did anything wrong. Next question, how do you go about creating your algorithms for DraftKings? You don't need to give it all away, just kind of what goes into it for each sport. Well, there are algorithms that are already set up, and then it just becomes what you want to weigh as far as importance. Now, I'm sure plenty of people build their own algorithms. But, you know, for whether it be to pick your sport, which you want to play in daily fantasy sports, uh, you're going to be moving your little slider back and forth for, you know, recent greens and regulation, you know, last five years performance greens and regulation, for example, driving distance, driving accuracy, recent, you know, if you know the forecast is rough, you're going to, Pay more attention to sliding your weighted players for performance in rain, performance in wind, all of those things. And then once you get done with that, then it can spit out rosters and you can decide if you like what it is and or you can weight it again with different factors. So that's that's how I do it. Uh, and I'm telling you, we are fresh off as we are sitting here talking. We are fresh off 
Uh, the biggest sweat I have ever had in daily fantasy sports, and it came at the RBC Heritage at Harbortown, Hilton Head. And uh, after the third round, well, with, with maybe like two or three holes left in the third round, I was uh, in second place in a game out of 118,000 people and was winning $40,000. It was a $5 entry, and I was winning $40,000. First place paid $100,000. So for those of you who play it, you know how tough it is just to get all six golfers through to the weekend, uh, much less even be in that position. And that's where I was in a position to, I mean, I went to bed that night. It's all Anna Marie and I were talking about was, oh my God, you know, I mean, winning 40 grand or a hundred grand or even 10 grand. I mean, that's, that's, that's material. So I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what a sweat this was because all six of my guys were in position to not only finish well, but potentially win the thing. It just so happened that the weather was terrible in Hilton Head, so they moved the tournament up to start at 6 a.m. Eastern, and it wasn't televised because of that, which CBS has since caught a lot of hell about. It wasn't streaming anywhere. For an hour and a half, it was streaming on the Golf Channel's website, but that's it, and that was because of the TV rights deals. So here I am. Truly, this isn't like now, now that it's over and it didn't happen. I can speak, but in the moment, I looked at my team and I went to bed and uh, I had so many guys who were in the legitimate mix to win the thing. And you're sitting there going, my God, I just do this stuff kind of for fun. You know, if I lose a hundred bucks, I lose a hundred bucks. Don't really, you know, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it's just for fun. And it's, it's a lottery ticket. And I'm going, oh my God, this could actually happen. And I have one, I think I won 5,500 in one game in DraftKings. Uh, it was the weekend the Rams played the Saints, and I anticipated a high-scoring game. Happened to be right, and I had a bunch of Rams and Saints, and I won. I didn't win it, but I won, like, fifth place, and I paid 5500 But I'm a fish at Daily Fantasy. So when you're asking me for advice at Daily Fantasy, it's like asking a poker player who's just losing a bunch of money, you know, his advice. So I want to I want to make sure I make that clear. But with that all said, um, I've been better at golf, and uh, unfortunately, within an hour of the round and just monitoring the scores online because there was nowhere to watch it. It became clear that I wasn't going to be in the mix. And after waking up and fantasizing and legitimately having a chance, I mean, I was in 20th place going into the day. Like I said, I got as high as second place uh, on the third round uh, of winning a hundred thousand dollars. I wound up winning $48. So there you go. There's, there's, there's the, there's the wide Delta of daily fantasy sports. Uh, Let's see. What's your favorite memory of being a dad so far? People really liked this question. So, you know, I tried, and I don't know, maybe I'm failing on the morning after on this. I don't know. I try, because every, not everybody, uh, and Anna Marie and I almost were in the category of the not everybody. Not everybody has children. We were wanting to, and it took us five years to get there uh, and didn't think we could. We're told by our doctor we couldn't. So I don't want to take it for granted Uh, and say everybody has children because I'm sure somebody is listening to this, at least somebody, probably more, who would love to have kids and haven't been able to or are not going to. Um, But with that said, more people than not have children. And as special as my son is to me and my wife and our families, uh, I recognize that me spending a bunch of time talking about my kid wouldn't necessarily make for the most fascinating radio. So I try to minimize the Jameson uh, stories. Now, if somebody wants to ask me a question and questions from the audience, then I will answer the question. So what's my favorite memory of being a dad so far? And I 
think the answer is, I'd be curious what Anna Marie would answer to this, but I think the answer is just when he smiles at me. It is the absolute best. And I'm sure those of you with kids, especially your firstborn, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I would imagine, you know, my son at this point, seven months old. So he isn't at the point of walking. He is crawling. He isn't the point of talking. So I hear about the dadas and the mamas and what that will be like. But as far as where we are at seven months, he just, he smiles all the time. Jennings Jr. always is calling him the smiler. And I don't know why he obviously doesn't take after me if he's smiling all the time, but he's always smiling. And, uh, and, and when he smiles at me, when he smiles at Anna Marie, it's just the absolute best. No matter what, I, when I was going through my appendicitis and I was hunchback walking around the house, not knowing all, what the hell was going on. And Jameson was initially smiling at me. And then when I didn't stop and play around with him as much as I do, then he had this look of concern on his face. And I'm like, my God, this, this baby is seven months old, six months old and seven months old, I guess. And, uh, and he's intuitive, just like any baby, to tell that something's wrong. And then I felt terrible that he was smiling at me, which I love. And I didn't smile back like I normally do because I was in so much pain. And then he became so concerned. So that was one of my least favorite moments so far. But when he smiles at me, it's the best. And I have absolutely become a uh, nerd father. But I have to tell you, I wouldn't have it any other way. Tim, do you think online poker is nearing a return? And if it does, do you think you will ever get back into it the way you were before? That's a nice segue because the fact that I am a father, there's absolutely no way that I could get back into it the way I was before. Because playing the game, at least playing tournaments, you know, I remember people going, God, how do you have that time to do it? I'm like, I have all kinds of time. I do a show for three hours and then I'm done. Because I really wasn't operating radio stations until 2013. And by then, the game had been shut down uh, in 2011. I mean, it's still available, but just not like as big as it was on Full Tilt and on PokerStars. So, you know, sometimes you'd sit down for a tournament at noon and it could still be going at 3 in the morning if you were running deep. And that's just not possible when you're, when you're a parent. I mean, it is, but, you know, Anna Marie would have to be like, oh, don't worry, you got set aside 15 hours to play ace-king against queens. Good luck. You know, that's just not really real, realistic. Now, with that said, I still want the game to come back. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the Daniel Negreanu interview. We talked about that. He is absolutely not bullish on it coming back on a federal level anytime soon. He thinks it'll be state by state. Why it is not taxed, regulated in the United States is beyond me. Um, it drives me up the wall. I don't talk about it that much on the radio anymore um, because I recognize the game's popularity and I'm sure some people listening are still super passionate about it, but realistically where it was, especially in 2004 and five and six with Chris Moneybaker uh, and on the online game, uh, it's just not where it was. It's just the way it is. And I still love playing, but I don't, I don't play nearly as much as I used to. And I remotely, I don't know, I play once a month, maybe. Um, so I, I, even if I'm not playing the fact that people can't play poker, a game of skill, in the United States is beyond me. And this is why I just, the, the social conservatism stuff just drives me up the wall. It's like, okay, you, you think playing poker is wrong. Sweet. Whatever, whatever beliefs you subscribe to, God bless to each their own. I personally don't think playing it's wrong. I know that it's rooted in math 
And in the live game, psychology, certainly an element of psychology online, but most definitely in the live game, even more so with physical tells. Uh, And, you know, it's certainly a mathematics game. But if you don't know any better and you just think gambling is wrong because of your religion, uh, then you want us all to not be able to play. And I just think I just I really have a real problem with that. And that's where it came. That's where the outlawing of it came from social conservatives. And it's just, you know, it's just awful to me. It drives me. It truly drives me up the wall. I never would have thought on April 15th, 2011, that we'd be sitting here more than seven years later now, and it's still not regulated and taxed in the United States. And now I sit here in 2018, and I'd be shocked if we had it in 2025 uh, from a federal standpoint. And it's just an industry dying to be taxed. How many industries are dying to be taxed? But, you know, with with government as polarized as it is at this moment, it's not like somebody's going to bring online poker legislation to the floor and, and have a bunch of people support it. So I'd, I'm not, unfortunately, like Daniel on the ground, who's expecting it to come back from a federal standpoint. Uh, let's see. Uh, if you were on death row, what would your last meal be? Any restaurant? Mm. God, there's a sushi place in Las Vegas called Kabuto and people will email me. I feel like a couple times a month. They say they're going to Las Vegas. We know you go out there a lot. At least you used to haven't been there nearly a year now. Uh, and re- recommend restaurants, and I'm always happy to do it. And for the record, I will do it right now. Delmonico, which is at the Venetian, kind of in between the Venetian Palazzo, which are two towers, joining towers. Uh, the filet medallions, which are off the menu for some reason, but they're the best. Uh, still get them. Uh, Nobu, uh, sushi, and uh, let's see, craft steak. My man Randall, St. Louisan, who is a waiter there. That's at the MGM. Nora's, which is great Italian. It's off the strip been recommended to us by locals since we're out there so much we go there uh and then this place called kabuto and it's like i don't really get sushi all that often in st louis in general it might not be fair because these days you can get seafood shipped to you overnight and it's you know it doesn't matter if you're in florida or wherever you know northeast you're gonna get seafood shipped to you and it, it, it isn't like back in the old days where you wouldn't get it for a few days uh although i'm sure plenty of places probably save some money and do it that way um but I just don't get sushi in St. Louis all that much, even though we really like it. And then once you go to Nobu and you get sushi, you're like, oh, my God, this is the this is the best. But then you go to Kabuto, which I think has like six tables. And it's just west of the Strip in Las Vegas. Maybe like, a God, I don't know, maybe a mile and a half, two miles. It's in Chinatown. It's in a strip mall. It's kind of like Paul Mano's. If, if you were like, well, the best, one of the best restaurants in St. Louis is in a strip mall in the suburbs. You go, really? And then you go to Palmano's and you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. It is. Uh, it's in a strip mall in Chinatown in Las Vegas, which is saying something considering what you have in Las Vegas as far as restaurants go. And it's just it's once you once you have that, then you're like, ah, Nobu's not that good. It's phenomenal. And the guy, it's one of those things where it's a passion play for the guy who's in charge. And he prides himself on where he gets the fish, how he gets the fish. I think he spends a lot of money to get the fish. And it's just absolutely incredible. There's nothing that's even close to it. And this is coming from somebody who honestly, when it gets down to it, probably would get White Castles as my last meal. So it's not like I'm, you know, sophisticated palate, alive magazine guy. Uh, White Castles, Cracker Barrel, Grilled Chicken Sandwich, um, like the Steak and Shake Cajun Burger, Carl's, Palmano's, uh, Kimmel's, Filet Douglas, what else am I leaving out? I love Biggie's Pizza in the South Side, Laferrato's Pizza. 
Um, so hopefully I gave you a potpourri of answers there. Guilty pleasure movie that most people just wouldn't watch. Insta-call on this one. The Devil Wears Prada. Embarrassed by it. My wife hazes me about it. But if The Devil Wears Prada is on, I watch it. The Sea Monster, with a rare audio appearance to vouch for me, as I thought I was just blowing in the wind here in the studio. Han Solo, thank you, sir. You're on board. Meryl Streep's wonderful. She really is. She's so good. What a great character she plays there. I love that movie. I mean, it's so odd, you know, but if it's on, I watch it. Hope you're enjoying questions from the audience here on the Tim McKernan Show, presented by Verizon and they're our new title sponsor, James Carlton, the State Farm Insurance Agent. He's been with us from the very beginning, and I'm so grateful. And here's the other thing. I mean, I'm happy he's a sponsor, of course, but I've gotten to know James. He knows this business. He has been uh, a pleasure to get to know uh, and really knows the insurance business. And I can't, I cannot recommend him more. I really, truly can't. Sometimes there are people who are on board and kind of like, hey, I can read about it. I don't really know him. Well, James Carlton, I know him. think the world of him and the business he runs. His number is 314-961-4800. You'll be happy you called him. You'll save money. And the customer service, the knowledge of the business and how he can save you money, I can't imagine many are better. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If you're looking at buying a home with Ryan Kelly, well, you're going to need insurance. Make sure you use James Carlton, carltoninsurance.net. Uh, it's all right there for you, carltoninsurance.net, or just give them a call. They pride themselves on calls not going to voicemail during business hours, 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. Uh, Jay Randolph Jr., will Luke List ever win a PGA Tour event? Jay Jr. knows that I continue to bet Luke List. And once again, Luke List was in the mix on Sunday. And once again, Luke List faded and folded like a cheap tent. He had a 10-foot putt. I bet 50 bucks on him. It was paying plus 3000 which means chop because it's, that's based on a $100 bet. It pays 3000 So I bet 50 It would have paid 1500 And he had a 10-foot putt to, to force a playoff. And I saw the CBS cameras showed. Now, I already knew that he missed it, but I actually saw it later on because it was on tape delay, which I was bitching about earlier. But I saw him lining up for the putt, and they had the camera right behind his, his club head. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to miss this thing left. I can see this. And then, sure enough, it just rolls without enough pace, and then he misses it on the low side. I love Luke List. I have to tell you, for as much as I've been betting on him, and then I watch him when he's in the mix on Sundays, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if Luke List has the it to, I'm not talking about the talent. I'm talking about the it when it gets a little tight to put himself over the top because there aren't too many guys on the PGA Tour who hit the ball further than Luke List. So, Jay, I know you're being a smartass by asking the question, but I gave you a Luke List take, which I'm sure will increase podcast download numbers exponentially. Uh, have you ever went into an interview with a preconceived notion of who someone was, and at the end of the interview, your mind was changed? It's a great question from uh, Big Papa in Belleville. And in this podcast alone, I've experienced that. Uh, candidly, Ed Martin is is exactly the opposite of me as far as governmental philosophy and then also utilizing religion uh, from my standpoint as a way to, to consolidate a base and get votes, which I loathe. I loathe. I don't care what religion it is. I loathe utilizing religion to try and advertise a business. Uh, it just, it just makes me sick. Now I'll still, I'll still go to places, you know, I'm on board with Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, Hey, whatever to each their own. I just personally not on board with that. 
And then Ed Martin comes in here, and I'm like, man, I was telling the CMS, I don't know about this one because this could be this this guy and me aren't on the same page. And he couldn't have been more likable. Now we still disagree on a number of things, and he knew that, which is why he said he brought me a Donald Trump book and. Uh, he signed his book, the Phyllis Schlafly conservative book thing that he that he wrote, you know, which, again, once again, would would not necessarily jive with my personal worldview. Uh, but I couldn't have found him more enjoyable to talk to. Uh, Megan Green, who um, is certainly liberal uh, in, in further to the left than I would be uh, on social issues, which is really saying something because I'm very far to the left on social issues. Uh, and I really enjoyed that conversation, both on the air and off the air. And she was somebody, especially during the Rams thing, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I would see her sound bites and it would drive me up the wall. But the, what, the, what the podcast allows, and I, I don't know how many times we've heard somebody say this when we get done. Uh, wow, I don't usually get a chance to talk like that because they're used to having to speak in like 15 second sound bites or they're, you know, they're like, oh, we got to go to a commercial break, or whatever the case might be. And so... I've had a number of conservatives email me about the Megan Green interview, the Alderwoman in St. Louis, uh, and say, you know what? I don't agree with her on so much, but I really respect where she's coming from, and I enjoyed hearing her. Um, who else? Jim Talent. Jim Talent would be one. I knew I would get along with him. I didn't think I wouldn't get along with him. But uh, politically, we're certainly different. But what it what it's done, and I've really enjoyed this, uh, is and it wasn't my intention. I always say I'm not here to heal the world. Uh, but because people will listen and they're listening to people who they normally wouldn't tune in to hear, they are hearing things that don't necessarily fit their worldview, and it's either challenging them or it's reinforcing them, whatever the case might be, but you're at least hearing the context. And so it humanizes what usually in the social media age is somebody that perhaps your side, left or right, demonizes. And I've really enjoyed that. I've really enjoyed that. Um, and so there have been a number of them, but those are two that stand out. Uh, let's see. Callers from the past 14 years that you would be most curious to meet in person. Huh. On this one, maybe I should read these in advance so that way I actually have answers. But that would totally blow up what I've been doing for the last 14 years. Uh, I don't know on that one. I guess caller Douglas. I'm fascinated by him. Uh, I think that would be the Instacall play. Uh, Caller Douglas, the guy who reads the schedules. Uh, I don't know if he's still with us. We haven't heard from him in a while. But I think it would be Caller Douglas, one of my all-time favorites, and I think one of the audience's all-time favorites. Do you? How about this one? This is a good question here. Do you think the morning grind, which started in 2004, kind of got a boost from Howard Stern leaving terrestrial radio as the shows were somewhat similar? Well, I consider that a great compliment if you think our show is similar to Howard Stern's show, uh, because he is by far my biggest influence uh, without question. I mean, I just, I mean, seeing the movie Private Parts in 1997 was like, it, it, if anything, I'm sure plenty of people, I'm sure my parents would say it, it like blew up my career because I was on one path. And then I saw that and I'm like, that's what I want to do. That's absolutely what I want to do. That's the stuff that resonates with me more than like covering city hall meetings in Columbia, which is what I was doing at the time or reading off a teleprompter. Uh, So do I think that we received a boost because Stern went to satellite, I think, in 06. Morning Grind started in 04. You know, I have have had a lot of people say I used to listen to Stern and now I listen to you guys. Um, I don't. 
I don't I, The honest answer is I don't think my, what I think was the biggest boost for the show was when we started uh, CBS Sports 920. And I think, and it wasn't like a pleasant thing, uh, but it's when Dan Marshall did the 590 The Man, 1380 The Woman thing, and because it was such a bad idea, it was getting attention not just locally but nationally. And then people were really pulling for us, especially on our show, to put him out of business. Uh, And... So we kind of became the good guys. I became the good guy, I guess, uh, even though I'm sure plenty of people who had or still do or have gone back to hating me uh, now uh, at that time were pulling for me because they didn't like the way he was treating people and just thought the idea was terrible and it was a shame that it was all happening. And, and because of all that coverage, even though I hate being in the newspaper, hate it, even though it might be a good thing because people say, oh, the, the only... The, Bad publicity is no publicity or whatever it is, or there's no such thing as bad publicity. Totally disagree. People who say that have never had bad publicity. Uh, I'm fine with it if people are, are reporting accurate things. Uh, and I'm not, this isn't a shot at Dan Caesar. It's just I was in some spots where I couldn't say anything, so I couldn't correct things that were being reported inaccurately because I couldn't talk um, for one reason or another. My contract, uh, an insurance policy during the Albert Pujols thing, whatever it was, and you're just blowing in the wind. And that is just absolutely miserable. But with that said, I feel like the show got a lot of attention. Then people tuned in and they're like, oh, this is, and and also at that time we had 120 days that we had to play out. And I'm just like, let it be awful and let it be awful is really what we're still doing five years later. And by that, I mean, it's just improv. Now I think it drives some people perhaps in the business up the wall because they can't do it. And then it drives them up the wall that they do all this preparation. And then our show is still more popular and it drives them up the wall, but it, it depends on what you're looking for in your show. You know, I was, I, I was on a call the other day and somebody was asking me about the, the, the competition in the market. And I said, honestly, I know this is going to sound weird or you're going to take it as I'm saying, there's no competition because we're the best, which is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the market just is not, we just, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think of 101. I don't think of Bernie Miklas. I doubt 101 or Bernie Miklas think of us. Uh, I don't think of X or KTRS. I, I guess the show that would probably have the most similar audience to us would be the Rizzuto show on 105.7. And I think the world of all of the guys on that show, like they're great guys. Uh, I think the world of people at that radio station. Um, so it just, it, it isn't, it isn't that way that, and I think that stuff was going on in the past. I think it's hack. I never want to engage in that crap. It's because it, because usually the people who do it are trying to get over. So like when we had the bubble, the love sponge thing in 2013, it's like, I know what he's doing. I get what he's doing. The guy's made millions of dollars, whether you like him or not, that that's, that's a fact. And so he's trying to get me irritated. So I respond and then it gets him attention in the market. So people tune in to show it's, it's ABC poker. I mean, it's, it's chapter one of the book. And so it's like, okay, I know what he's doing, and I just got to ignore it. And I don't really care anyway, and I'm just not going to do it. And I don't, I don't want to do it. I just, I'm not interested in doing it. You know, what I'm more interested in is starting up my own radio station so I can get away from the Titanic. That's what I was interested in. So um, that combined with podcasting, to me, were much more powerful in, in the morning after's growth than anything else. Now, I could be wrong on that. I could be totally 
miscalculating the Howard Stern thing, but I just, I don't think I still, cause I think now, I mean, I, I grant it's a totally different time now. It's 12 years removed, but like I, this is the way I listen to Stern. Now I go on my serious XM app and I see who his guests are. And if it's a guest, I want to hear him interview. Cause I think he's one of the best interviewers ever. Uh, that's what I listen to. I don't even listen to the show anymore. Not because I'm mad about the show, but there's so much content out there. Uh, and I'm sure plenty of you experience this. You're like, man, I love the podcast. My God, I want to listen to the morning after. I want to listen to the cat chat. I want to listen to Mark Marin. I want to listen to Joe Rogan. I want to listen to take your pick of so many things that you just fall behind and you don't wind up listening. Um, but with that all said, that's how I listen to Stern now. But I think the podcasting element and the attention on starting up CBS Sports 920 and, you know, I guess winning, not that that was, you know, I know this will come off the wrong way, but I mean, you know, I mean, if, if we would have lost... I would have been like, okay, I probably need to do something else if I lose to this operation. Uh, let's see what else we got here. How many complaints do you get, either email or in person, from people stumbling onto the show on the radio and being outraged at the naughtier content? It's a great question. These have been some really good questions. I tip my cap. Um, Luke List question, of course, being the best one, but... Uh, that used to happen. That used to happen when we first started. As a matter of fact, the morning grind started in July of 2004. And I believe that they were considering firing us all in August of 2004. I'm being serious. I'm not making a joke. Uh, now it would have been interesting because, uh, I know I had a contract. I don't remember how long it was, two or three years. I believe the cat and Martin had contracts. So that would have been fascinating to see how they would have attempted to, uh, get out of that. And I do remember one time when they tried to do it and the cat got a new bathroom in 2007 out of it. So, um, you know, if they would have whacked us a month in, that would have been, that would have been fascinating. Obviously they didn't. And 14 years later, here we still are. But when we started, it was a conscious decision to attempt to capitalize on the fact that this market still, still, still does not have a lot of shows that appeal to younger people. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that there are two that are that that have decent followings. Now I could be missing, and if I am, it's not intentional. But it's our show and it's Rizzuto's show that has a younger audience, which I think is horribly sad, by the way. Um, and for one of, one of my biggest complaints about St. Louis is that I just feel like young people are like pissed on, and I think that's a, one of the reasons why young people go, okay, f this, I'm moving to Chicago or Denver, or Dallas. Uh, but. With that all said, it was simple economics applied to communications. I believe there is a demand, but there is not a supply. Let's provide the supply and see what happens. So we did sports talk radio in a way that hadn't been done in St. Louis, although it had been done in plenty of other markets very successfully, and that was to not go, okay, coming up, the Cardinals are playing the Cubs. We'll talk to the beat writer from the Chicago Tribune. And then the Blues, their draft's coming up, so we're going to talk to whoever was the Blues writer at the time. And the Rams, camp's opening up, so we're going to talk to Jim Thomas. And that's all the shows were. And it was just horrifically boring, just dreadful content. Now, I'm sure, like, the old people, like, oh, this is the greatest. But nobody who's, like, under the age of 50 wants to listen to that stuff. Uh, you know, so it was a conscious choice. And uh, fortunately, not you know, honestly, not that big of a surprise. It worked. I didn't. I don't think I expected it to be 14 years later and still working. But the point being, for those who were accustomed to hearing the beat writer from, you know, Pittsburgh when the Cardinals were playing the Pirates and all of a sudden you got Hoosiers and Hummers or an adult film star interview, uh, they were horrified. And then they would complain and they would call in and complain. 
And then it became clear because I always I remember and I still to this day do admired Charles Barkley and Howard Stern. And I remember thinking this back then because I felt like they could say anything and it didn't matter. They were Teflon. And and I think it'd be great if if more stations backed their talent that way um, as opposed to folding to advertiser boycotts, as we see happening now that are the byproduct of social media pressure, but that, that Stern or Barkley could say anything and just be like, yeah, that's what I think. What are you going to do about it? And in a way, they really didn't care because they've been making so much money that it's like, okay, fine, I'll just go get my go to my place in the Hamptons and hang out if I'm not going to have my show. And it became clear, I think, to some of these older people who were really trying to get us off, thrown off the air that they couldn't do anything. And so either they just finally gave in and listened or they finally just turned it off. But it didn't matter. We had grown the audience with younger people, and the show had become popular, and so they didn't matter, which was great. It's a great thing. It was a great St. Louis kind of victory. We tried something new. It was done for the younger people, and the old people thought, as usual, in St. Louis they would win, and they used their similar tactics of you know calling people's morals out and trying to get them fired, and then it didn't work, and then they went away. So piss off. It makes me very happy to tell that story. What else do we have here? Game of Thrones. You've seen the show. What happens? How does it end? Does John, do John Snow and Danny end up together? Does Cersei live? Okay, I'll go through those. In my opinion, uh, I think it ends with John Snow uh, about to die. Danny uh, killing Cersei and John Snow and Danny wind up together. That is my official play. Seamaster, would you like to comment on this one? Because you are more of a Game of Thrones nerd than I am. And you listen to that hideous podcast that uh, you recommended to me. And I will yes, never uh, again. Binge Mode, excellent yes. podcast. Awful. Cut out of it. Um, I think it's a show that isn't necessarily going to have a happy ending. Oh, really? I think both John and Danny, I, I, I think one or both might not survive. Wow. I think the world will be saved. I just don't know how many of our beloved characters will be around to enjoy that. Wow. Like, I think it'll be like a, a a random character like Theon will still be around when the show's over. Wow. Do you think Cersei will be around when it's over? No. Yeah. I think I think we That's see a five her star play. That's a five star uh, demise play. this season. Who's more likely to be around, Danny or Jon Snow? I think Danny. I would agree with you. I would agree with you on that one. And maybe she has his baby. And that's that's the way that the legacy continues. It could be. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Back to out. you, Steve. Back to you, Steve. Uh, let's see what else we got here. I'm, I said I want to answer all the questions, and I'm doing it. So now you'll know. With questions from the audience, I'm going to, do you believe in love at first sight? The Thunderbolt. Uh, I do, actually. I legitimately do. I legitimately do. So I've now told you that I love The Devil Wears Prada, and I believe in love at first sight. So this might just become a soft rock podcast the next time you listen to it. You're pulling into a parking lot, and a guy steals your spot. You then end up in line behind him checking out, and he drops a 20 on the ground. Do you tap him and give it back or swipe it up as payment for causing you to find another spot? Uh, I mean, it's, uh, I don't like this question, but I want to answer every question. It just, and here's why I don't like the question. It's such a detailed scenario. It's so unlikely. Of course, I answered a question as if I was going to be on death row with no, no hesitation, uh, hesitation. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Screw him. I'm not going to help him out on that. Uh, the, the cutting people off. I, I really haven't had that happen often. I've had people talk about it. 
And I can't, but like you're sitting there with your blinker and somebody's back out and somebody cuts. I can't imagine doing that. So I don't see it often, but yeah, if that ha- were to happen, yeah, F that guy. Uh, let's see. Uh, who would be on your Major League Baseball All-Star team if you could build it from your favorite childhood players? Vince Coleman, Willie McGee, uh, Lonnie Smith are in the outfield. Just knocked that out right away. Um, let's see. On the infield, Terry Pendleton, Ozzy Smith, Tommy Herr. Uh, yes, still, Jack Clark. And uh, let's see, Daryl Porter. I mean, I just named like the 82-85 Cardinals, I know, but that's what I think about. I mean, that's I loved Gary Sheffield, which was a weird thing, but I was collecting baseball cards and I had all these Gary Sheffield future star cards, and so I was invested in Gary Sheffield, thinking if he had a great career, I could retire with my baseball cards. That has not worked out yet. I don't know if the market's going to go up. I'm not counting on it, but uh, I was big into Gary Sheffield. Anytime I would get a guy like future star, I would pay attention to him, and I would look him up in the box scores. But, man, I just loved the I loved the 82-85 Cardinals for some reason more than the 87 Cardinals. And I don't know why that was because they were both great teams. The 85 Cardinals to me, Ozzie Smith. I've asked Ozzie Smith about Ozzie Smith is somebody, by the way, on the podcast. He must just I have my train of thought. I don't know if he's around or what, but uh, talking golf and baseball. But Ozzie Smith, I asked him 82, 85, 87, which was the best team. He goes, oh, 85, which is kind of counterintuitive because 85 didn't win the World Series. But in those guys' minds, they kind of did. And so uh, they felt like that team was the better team. And, you know, I mean, if the Brewers would have been healthy and had Raleigh Fingers, uh, who knows what happens in 82. And if the Cardinals were healthy and would have had um, Vince Coleman, they probably would have won the thing even easier than they were positioned to do in game six. Have you had any experiences like caller Luke? Uh, yes, I have been fortunate enough to engage in uh, fun and games and I advocate it for everyone. Now, Caller Luke's specific situation, no, but fun and games, yes, and it continues to be a quest uh, and will remain a quest, even though in the back of my mind, I know the quest is one that will not be satisfied. But it's one of those things that you just keep kind of trying to con yourself into thinking it's going to happen and it's not going to happen. But yes, I have. Caller Luke scenarios specific, no, but yes, in general, I have, and I would like to advocate that for the listening audience. What was my first job? Not like mowing or anything cash only before 16, but first job you actually got a W-2 for. Uh, I guess busboying tables, bussing tables at uh, Pietro's, um, which, which was a defining. I was working a job uh, at the age of 14, which is amazing. And I don't know, really know what was going on, why that was going on, like why my dad made me do that. Um, I totally disagree with it, even though it's 27 years removed, uh, because it it was already kind of a weird spot growing up where I did in South City and going to St. Louis U High because there weren't a lot of people from my class at St. Louis U High who were in my neighborhood. And so I was already kind of in a tough spot because those first few years you can't drive and now I'm working on Friday and Saturday nights bussing tables, and now I'm like, I have no friends, you know, so I can't hang out. So that sucked, and I don't, I, I still don't know what that was about. I have no idea what that was about. Maybe it was my dad trying to teach me work ethic. It didn't necessarily teach me work ethic. It pissed me off and taught me. And I always say this. This is my go-to story. For some reason, uh. 
I was watching a Notre Dame football press conference. My family, my mom went to school at St. Mary's because it wasn't co-ed yet, which is right across the street from Notre Dame's campus. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't co-ed. So that was the girls' school. Notre Dame was the boys' school. Now it's obviously co-ed. And my dad was one of those Subway alums, Irish Catholic guy from South City. Even though he didn't go there, he just cheered for Notre Dame big time. So it was a Notre Dame household. There was a Lou Holtz press conference on. And Lou Holtz, out of nowhere, I'm sure there was a reason he brought it up, but he was asked, some question, he said, the key to happiness in life is to find something you love to do and find something, find somebody dumb enough to pay you to do it. And I recall, and I still, 27 years later, uh, think about that. And it's really been like a guiding principle in my career. And uh, I couldn't agree with it more. And it was at the same time as I was at Pietro's. And I hated it. I hated it because I had a lot of people who weren't particularly nice, who I was bussing tables for, and I didn't think were exactly, um, you know, I don't know what the right term would be, but I felt like I knew it, where I was going a little bit better at, at 14 than they did, and yet they were treating me poorly, and I'm just like, whatever I've got to do to make sure I don't do this and I'm not like this, I've got to do it. So in that sense, it, it kicked, kicked me into gear, perhaps, um, but, uh, God, did I hate that job? Oh, I hated that job. Love Pietro's love Pietro's hated the job. Uh, let's see. Can you explain why you seem like everyone's beer drinking buddy, even in the face of some serious douchebags that try to like to ruin a good thing? I heard a couple murmurs of some of the email, non-email the day traffic that heads your way. People are psycho. And how do you not tee off on them or lose it on the audience? Uh, in case you can't tell, I like to find out how people maintain perspective and motivation. I find it fascinating to hear different people's tactics and techniques. Um, that's a great question. We have really good questions. Maybe I should scroll through. Okay, I think I, uh, okay, we'll be good. Um, I, I don't, I, do I really come off as somebody that everybody's beer drinking buddy? I don't know if I come off that way. I don't, I don't think I, I don't know. I don't know who on the, sh- I, th- I would think that Plowboy would come off like that out of the six of us. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't you? Jennings. Jennings. Yeah. So if you're, if you're expanding it, yes, to, to the Charlie Jennings, uh, when the cat's on the road or when I'm out or Doug's out filling, uh, guys. Yeah. Jennings, that'd be a good play, uh, from the original six, so to speak, it'd be Plowboy. I don't know if I come off that way. Cause here's the thing. And I've said this before in questions from the audience. I don't know if I'm introverted so much, uh, as, if if I just if I'm not comfortable with you, I I keep my guard up, but not not for any reason. It's not like it's not like because oh I'm such a big marvelous star doing AM radio in St. Louis. It's got nothing to do with that. This is how I've always been. But if somebody initiates communication in a friendly way, then I'm comfortable. But if I'm uncomfortable, I'm super awkward. So in that sense, I don't know if I would fit the description of I seem like everyone's beer drinking buddy. Uh, now, as far as, you know, some of the things that we've experienced and how I've handled them, um, you know, the most challenging one, there've been a lot of them and that's unfortunate. And I don't know how many times Anna Marie and I and I have been together for a decade. And it's like, I said, I, and I don't know how many times I've said to her in 10 years over the, the 10 years we've been together, you know, it's obviously a difficult time. Let's just get through this. And then she'll say, it's always a difficult time. There's always something going on. And I'm like, you know what? I, I got nothing for that because she's right. The thing is, most of the time, the audience is not aware of it. As to me, the way it should be. 
Uh, it's not something to go running around and attacking people on social media or bitching about people on the show. So, um, you know, with that said, um, that's difficult, I guess. I guess it's difficult. But here's the thing. The most difficult one was the Albert Pools one. I'd like to think it's going to be the most difficult one. My guess is my career will somehow end in a fiery blaze with some social media outrage. That's what I think is going to happen. I'm, I'm predicting my death. So, uh, and then when that happens, I will I will move to Jupiter, Florida. So there it is. If anybody wants to know how this, if we were speculating on Game of Thrones ending, I'm telling you how my radio career ends, podcasting career, whatever it is. So with that all said, um, the, the Albert Pujols thing to date uh, was, you know, easily the most brutal thing, you know, that, that I mean, that you could ever you know, and, you know, for so many reasons, uh, so many reasons, so many reasons, reasons that people think it was one thing and it wasn't. People thought this and then it wasn't. People thought they knew what was going on and there was so much they didn't go on. But like I said earlier, I couldn't talk because of the insurance policy. And on top of it, I still am not 100% sole proprietor of Inside STL Enterprises. And so I have partners. And so I have to be cognizant of their situation. And they're not happy about what's going on. And they, and they know the details, but hell, it doesn't matter. We're still being drug into the thing. And then I also have a gentleman uh, by the name of Bert Kaufman who owned and still does own uh, 920, where we were when that happened. And, you know, when it gets down to it, had the final say. And, you know, I get Bert. Bert didn't want to go in the newspaper and talk. And I big time appreciate that, uh, you know, you, that's to me the best way to handle things. Um, but it also kind of left me blowing in the wind when I wasn't the one that was in the spot to be handling everything, uh, because it wasn't my station. So with that all said, uh, in that moment, and that moment went on for a couple of months, Bert, who at the time, I don't know, I think he was around 80. I could be wrong. And he's just a wise man and a good man. And he, you know, saying, got they got this going, I got this one. He goes, why would you even worry about that? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, never spend any time on someone who you know isn't going to fight fair and is just going to lie. What's Because you can't, you can't win. You can't win a fight with somebody who's a liar. And then never spend any time on something that has no upside. And I guess I kind of, it's kind of like I told you about the Lou Holtz thing the Lou Holtz thing, it's a simple thing. It was absolutely coincidental that I happened to be in front of the television and it might be wrong, by the way, it might be wrong. Uh, I'm sure if Doug were sitting here, he'd be like, no, I would have much rather have been like a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant, as opposed to doing something that I quote unquote love. Yeah, it was fun. Like when we were in our twenties, but then it becomes a job and then all of a sudden you don't have any marketable job skills because all you've been doing is talking sports or reading off a teleprompter. So the whole thing about finding something you love to do and somebody dumb enough to pay you to do it, to me, I've kind of lived as a guiding principle, but maybe it isn't the best principle. I don't know. But I, if I get these simple uh, guidelines from people I respect who have been there, so to speak, Lou Holtz had been there, Bert Kaufman had been there, uh, and I therefore respect their wisdom. I live by these uh, credos. And, uh, and so from that standpoint, it was it kind of like it, it separated all the bullshit. I'm like, yeah, why would? Yeah, I can't win. Because I know I'm just going to make things up. Uh, already have. So now what can I do? All I can say is that's not true. And then it doesn't matter. Because just going to say, no, it is true. And then what do I, what do, I do? It's a, it's a he said, he said. And then uh, along those lines, never spending time on something that doesn't have any downside. Yeah, it's, it's so clear 
Now, with that with that said, it's it's not like it's not like I want to make this 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 clear. It's not like I am um, above criticism. I don't even know what I listened to. It was an interview. Maybe I was doing the interview. I don't even remember. The point being, this person's like somebody who really, really, really is a legitimate, like A-list kind of star and talking about Twitter. Uh, and uh, maybe it was Andy Cohen with Howard Stern. I don't know. Uh, or Mark Marin. I don't know. Point being um, that, you know, you, you get you get caught up in, in criticism and it's just human nature. It's, it's going to bother you. But it's the difference between how much it bothers you when you first start out and then well, how much it bothers you now. So it still bothers you. And I think, I think almost anybody who tells you, almost anybody who tells you it doesn't, isn't necessarily being honest. Uh, cause it does, but you also kind of, uh, recognize that, you know, most of the time, the people who are acting like an asshole on social media, I mean, these aren't CEOs, these aren't multimillionaires, these aren't, these aren't people with you know, really happy personal situations. So once you're aware of that, you kind of, you know, it, it takes it from a different standpoint. And then usually the people who really do want to criticize to help you, they're not going to do it in a public forum. You know, like there's some time, for example, I mean, there's times where I'm watching coverage. So this way I'm not going to get too specific and I'm going to go, I'm, I'm watching, I'm going, God, this is so bad. It's so bad. I can't believe that they can't find somebody better. It's so obvious it's bad. And I want to tweet about it, but then I'd be like, I know I'm taking a shot at somebody and it, or somebody's, and I'm just not interested in it. And there's, and there you go. What's the upside? There's no upside. There's no point in taking a shot. Like, what, what do I get out of that? And, and then I'm just being a dick too. Like, why would I do that? I mean, so I internally, I'm like, can't believe they hired this person. This person's not very good at their job. You know, since this is the industry I'm in, kind of have an idea of, of who's got it and who doesn't. But alas, there they are. Uh, but whatever. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a keep it to yourself thing. Now, when you have somebody and I've had this either attacking you or making things up about you in a public forum, whether it be in the newspaper, on the radio, whatever, it's tempting to engage and, and people love it. And I know people love it because it's a grab your popcorn thing, but then it turns into something. Now I'm getting, now I'm in some stupid ass Twitter war with somebody or some radio war, which is something we make fun of. Because somebody took a shot. It's like, okay, you took a shot. I mean, it doesn't matter. No matter what. It could, be over to, it could be over today. Today could be the last show ever. And it doesn't matter. I've done something I've loved in my hometown for 14 years. It's like, I'm already lucky. It's already been good. So take a shot. Say it sucks. Or if the, in your mind, the thing has fallen apart. Or I suck. Or whatever. It's like, it's okay. Fine. And I know this might sound weird. Because sometimes people like take a little shot on Twitter, or the fan page people. Oh, my God. Oh, like they, they came at the, you know, the guy that runs the fan page or who hosts the show or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, why? I mean, hey, I'm, I'm I, if I'm going to play in the reindeer games then I can get hit with shit just like anybody else. So, hey, that's part of the deal. You know, feel free. I'm not I'm not in some infallible position here. Take shots. It's 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 welcome. It's when it gets like malicious is where. And, you know, sometimes maybe it's tough to figure out where that line is. Uh, and I hate when people talk about the line as far as penalizing people and firing them, for example, or suspending and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about when you're interacting with people on the fan page. And then you see like a pattern of behavior on social media. Like, yeah, this guy's just got a problem. You know, it's just a dick. And then you're just like, okay, there's just no need. We'll block him and, and move on with our day. That's the kind of thing. But then like, 
you know, so like if it was somebody, like if it were Joe Buck, for example, who's, you know, I, Joe would never tweet about it. But if he like texted me and goes, you know, I heard that. And he goes, you know, I like, you know, we're, you know, friends, respect, you know, whatever the case might be. But I really think it'd be best for you if you didn't go down that road or something like that, that you take seriously. And if it were, it doesn't have to be at Joe Buck's level. I'm just using that, that name as an example. Um, you know, a peer like Charlie, you know, or Martin or obviously Doug, the cat, whatever the case might be that, that, that you take a hell of a lot more seriously than somebody like who's made up an email name because they don't want to be identified because they're just a huge coward and want to like take shots. And honestly, when that, it's just like, it just doesn't, it just, you know, again, you see it and it's not like it's pleasant, but you're just like, okay, whatever. I mean, at this point, it just, in the whole scheme of things, it doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Now, if somebody makes something up and passes it off as a fact, it's a different program. But like people just starting shit and trolling for the hell of it, it just doesn't, at this point, it just doesn't phase. So my whole thing throughout many of these, these incidents has been turning the other cheek, um, which if anything actually frustrates the attempted troll even more is to turn the other cheek. So like when Dan Marshall was in the newspaper, you know, like, blaming me for his problems, you know, I mean, as if I had something to do with him not being able to make payroll when I'm at another station, but whatever, you know, it's, I mean, I think most of the people knew, you know, who was being honest and who wasn't, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, Dan Caesar calls me. Well, I mean, he's talking about, you know, I'm going to print it. Do you want to respond? I'm like, Dan, no. here's my quote. We're focused on building CBS sports 920 and we wish them continued success at 590, which of course is an obvious dig because it was far from being continued success but I'm just going to focus on what I can control. So that's how I've handled it. But a lot of that isn't because of my personality. It becomes from wise advice from people I've been lucky enough to work with. Uh, let's see. As someone who's 25 and a recent college grad with a job I enjoy and little plan about the future, I'd love to hear the perspective of all three of you, would be today, all of me of me, uh, at your current age and stage of life and the biggest overall surprise that you experienced, things you weren't expecting in the near future for someone of my age. Uh, so I'm 41, uh, Ben, and here is what I would say, because I do value this. I was just speaking of wisdom from people who are older than me. So here I am, I'm 16 years older than you, and I want to be able to, uh, help when somebody asks a question, at least perceived help. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say save money so much as spend the money wisely or invest the money wisely. I was lucky enough. I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way. But I was lucky enough to be making a nice amount of money in my 20s, which is not something I was expecting, especially considering the business I was in. And I just did, and I'm surprised. This is one thing that I will do differently with Jameson. I, I, I spent it and I could have had my condo paid off. This is so irresponsible. It's so irresponsible. I'm stunned at it. I'm stunned at how dumb that was. And I'm talking because I was bawling so hard that it would have just been one big check. I'm just talking about in general. I could have doubled my payments or tripled my payments, and it wouldn't. I was lucky enough that it wouldn't have been because I was living in a condo. It's not like I was living in some home in Huntley. So I could have, I could have done that. And so what I certainly will do, if I'm lucky enough to be around when Jameson's at a point where he has his first home, is to advise him on finances and not duplicate the mistakes I made. I know this probably isn't what you're looking for, by the way, but this is this is my honest answer. The other thing that I've noticed is you go from being the young guy 
to on the other side of being the young guy, not necessarily the old guy, because I guess I'm still the young guy on the show, but I mean, I'm 41 and it ha- it happens so quickly and you're going to realize that. And I know nobody wants to hear it, but it's for those of you in your forties, fifties, I know you know what I'm talking about. And it's a, it's a, it's the weirdest damn thing. Like all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I'm in my late twenties that, you know, I, I, I was irresponsible kid guy. And now I'm in my late twenties. It's like, I guess I kind of now I'm an adult and then it becomes, man, I'm in my thirties and in St. Louis for the record, I completely disagree with, and I feel terribly for people and they're less, some of it's in your late twenties. I mean, what God, but if you're not married by the time you're 30 in St. Louis, now if you're married at 30 in New York, sometimes they look at you weird, but in St. Louis, if you're not married and you're 30 and even some, you're not married, you don't have kids by the time you're 30, you're in the minority. And then, then you start, I guess I didn't deal with this. Well, I got married at 27, but you, you start catching pressure from people, family, I guess some friends, I, I would never hang out with anybody who would do this stuff. Cause I have a friend of mine the other day was telling me about, they have kids and they're starting to get pressure about having more. And I go, God, nobody's ever said that to me, I guess. And I guess maybe I'm such an ass that they know it wouldn't go well, but I can't imagine like me button my head into somebody's business, personal business, and telling them how to live their life or pressuring them. Oh, gross. But anyway, it happens so damn quickly. And so, you know, with Anna Marie and I, we were trying to have a baby from the very beginning, but we just couldn't. And we were public with that. Otherwise, I wouldn't talk about it. But um, we couldn't. We were totally couldn't after a few IVF failed attempts and um, IUI and all these things that I'm sure some of you know about. And we're just kind of now getting to a spot like if the next IVF didn't work out, we're not going to have kids, you know, because I just was, I personally didn't want to adopt. Now, maybe if I were stared with that choice, maybe I would have felt differently. And then sure enough, right the month before we're about to do IVF, she finds out she's pregnant and we think we lost the baby and we go into the hospital and sure enough, he's still alive, which was one of the greatest days of my life. And now to think if I would have lost this person who my world revolves around, um, I guess I wouldn't have known what I was missing, but it crushes me to think I would have missed him. Uh, so with that all said, the reason why I say that is I'm a 41 year old first time father. Now, in, in, it cuts both ways. I would not have enjoyed being a father at 31 as much as I enjoy being a father at 41. Part of that is what we've been talking about here for the last hour, and that is my career, which has been really weird because I'm in a really weird business. The business itself isn't weird. It's a lot of the ownership groups that I've been working for, uh, you know, going back to so many years, you know, where it's just like, like the, you just don't know what the hell's coming. Uh, I mean, this goes back to, to 2004 and there have obviously been well-documented, fascinating stories. And, and I didn't, I didn't want another dependent to have to, to, to deal with that and in the hell that we had gone through on the other side of it. I hate that I'm 41 and a first time father just because I'm 41 and a first time father. Uh, and it's the first time in my life I have been conscious of my age which I, before, cause it's like, you know, I don't know, it, it, relatively speaking, like Anna Marie will see, well, I'm on Facebook and I'm, and I'll go, yeah, this guy was in my class at wherever. And she goes, that guy was in your class. And I go, yeah, why? 
she goes, he looks like he's 10 years older than you. And I guess because we didn't have kids, we obviously got to live a different life uh, by, you know, traveling and having more time to work out and so on and so forth. Uh, and so we're in a different spot. Uh, and, and so you, you think all of these things. And, and so I, I personally, I guess if I could, if, if, if I could call my shot, may I, but man, man, if I go back and I go, okay, at 36, I would have had a kid. Okay. That's 2013. What happened in 2013 in my life? Let's say we were going through having a baby, the scares we had, and Anna Marie tells me she's pregnant. The baby's born. Dan Marshall says, I'm starting 590 the man, 1380 the woman. I'm like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. This thing's going to go out of business. So now what do I do? I've got a baby coming. Now I've got to start a radio station. Well, Anna Marie and I personally guaranteed the payments to that radio station. And I didn't think anything of it. It wasn't like this was backed by, you know, Entercom or Hubbard or iHeartMedia or Emmis or something like this. This was our money. And if it failed, I'm cutting a big check. You know, and would I have made that play a calculated risk that obviously I believed in? Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it if I had a baby or if I had a few babies like many of my peers at that time did. And I don't know. That's the honest answer. I don't know. So the thing is, it cuts both ways. Now, some people, I guess, because I guess it's a thing to do. I'm, I'm just never really on board with making fun of people for I'm trying not to be anyway for things that they can't control unless they kind of make fun of them as well especially when it comes to like in the case of being a 41 year old father, you know, which I guess around here is, is more rare than it is in some bigger cities. But, you know, I mean, it was out of our control and you never know what people's situations are when it comes to infertility. So if you want to bust somebody's balls about it, you don't know what their situation was. You know, like I never get like, you can make fun of somebody's height, but you can't make fun of somebody's weight. I'm fascinated by that one. Uh, I, I feel like that needs to be like dug into from a, a social psychological standpoint, but you know, when it comes to infertility, it's out of people's control, nothing to do. I mean, we were trying, trust me, we were trying hell. She got pregnant in 2014, but we lost the baby. Uh, we did IVF again in 2015. It didn't work. So you never know people's situations. But the reason I go into all of this is you're 25 don't give in to friend family pressure to either get married or to have children. That's that to me was my because like, career wise, I don't know what your career is. And my career is a weird thing anyway. So I can't speak to that. I can speak to if I could go back, what would I do differently? I certainly would have handled my money more responsibly by paying off my home as opposed to just going, oh, yeah, I'm going to go spend, I will spend this, doesn't matter, because I make this. It just it was so, like, pro-athlete stupidity without the pro-athlete money, for the record. You know, it was just dumb. So that is something, if you own a home and you can, pay it down or invest. But gee, just because you had, because that's what happens. You get out of college where you're just most of the time, anyway, everybody's broke, and now you got some money, and then you start spending it like an idiot. That's my biggest thing. That's the, something that I'm looking forward to advising my son on. All right, let's see what else we got here. Uh, have I subscribed to The Athletic? This will be the final one. Uh, we're going to go full hour, Seamaster. How about that? Um, have I have you subscribed to The Athletic? If yes, what's your level of satisfaction? And do you see this as a viable model going forward? I've been very happy in terms of St. Louis team coverage with Jeremy Rutherford and his freedom to offer his opinion is the main reason. Weakness for me personally is they don't have the same coverage yet for Boston teams. I'm a Boston College alum and a Celtics fan as well. Uh, that comes from Jeremy Couture, I believe is how you pronounce it. I hope so. 
Um, I did subscribe. It's only like, I don't even know, $2.99 or $3.99 a month. Uh, I don't know when the last time is that I read it. It's probably been a couple months. Um, I, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure plenty of people are happy with it. I, for me, I don't know. I, it, you know, I don't know. I, I don't get all excited about it, but I, I don't know what I get all excited about reading anymore. I'll tell you this. I, I miss reading Joe Strauss uh, when it comes to St. Louis sports. I'll tell you that big time. And as we've said, and we're fresh off the inaugural Joe Strauss Memorial Golf Tournament, uh, said it before, say it again. I'll continue to say it. It is a void that just probably can't be filled uh, because he was such a voice of credible dissent because of all he had done before he was a columnist in his career as a baseball writer in this baseball crazy city. And so I would look forward to, if there was a big game or a big development in St. Louis sports, getting his perspective. Uh, Oftentimes I agreed with it. Uh, Oftentimes I thought he was completely off base and I wondered if he was just kind of being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian, but it made me think and I missed that. Um, so, and I, and for the record, I think the world of, of, of Ben Fredrickson, I think Ben Fredrickson could be wind up being, uh, the next Joe Strauss. So this isn't like shots at people just so much as how much I appreciated Joe Strauss. Um, so I, I'm just not like dying to read stuff as far as sports coverage. Cause I feel like there's so much of it that like, like growing up and opening the post-dispatch and reading Bernie's bits, which was like a signature part of your Saturday morning. It's just it's just not the way that it is anymore. And in some of you listening in your 20s might not even know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, so the athletic to me, it's just not it's it, it just doesn't get me fired up. Just like ESPN, it's not a case. It's STL today. I kind of it's just it's across the board. It's that's in general. It's not a characterization of the athletic regarding the model. That conversation is, is less subjective and more objective, although it's still a spec as to what you think it's going to is going to happen with it. I hope it works. That's that's a number one. I hope it works. It's just like if somebody else were to start up a sports talk radio station in St. Louis. I hope it works. It's good for the business if there are more jobs. Uh, so I hope it works. It's good for the marketplace. Uh, I realize some people say it cuts into your pie. Eh, not really. I mean, the morning after at this point is kind of in its own little world. Uh, and unfortunately, we have loyal advertisers and a loyal audience. So I don't view it that way. And I understand some who would. I'm sure the Post-Dispatch, for example, isn't thrilled about The Athletic. But, you know, from my standpoint, I hope it works. I know they just had another uh, uh, raise of $20 million, which was a positive, and that I think it's their third round of funding, that it's trending in that direction. I'm going to start getting venture capitalists nerdy uh, just for monitoring that situation with The Athletic. Um, And so that's a positive. Like I said, I hope it works. I'm confused by the dollars I hear that are being spent relative to what I think the potential revenue is for the venture. And, but with that said, if you have the kind of money to throw around that you're raising $20 million and it's, I think the third round of funding, you have to have something that you're showing investors that makes them bullish on your product. So that excites me for it. Um, I, I, and I don't know what they're seeing that, that would, that would lead to more funding, but maybe they're going to monopolize the market and just counting on, we're going to continue to get the best people. And I've said this on the radio, so I'm not saying anything that I haven't said before. And I, and I, I, I want to try to be even more candid on the questions from the audience. So you'll get stuff that you don't get necessarily everywhere else. Uh, and that is, 
you know, at, at the time I was talking with a guy who I've become friends with and we've talked about doing a variety of different projects. Um, he's basically retired at a very young age. Uh, he's younger than me. And, uh, and we were talking about doing something like the athletic for St. Louis. Uh, I mean, literally right when it was going on before the athletic had come to St. Louis, this wasn't, Oh, we'll react. We were talking about it. And then all of a sudden the athletic just like was a land grab. They just started popping up in markets everywhere. Um, and we were doing the math on how we could make money on it. And I mean, it's expensive to fly people to every game. Now, I guess they're not doing that. It's expensive to put them up. It's expensive for per diems. And then, of course, the salaries. And they're paying well, which is great. It's great for the business. But again, being being aware of the expenses, uh, because I we looked into doing it ourselves, not the athletic, but our own site, I just wonder if it has sustainability. And I don't know. I'm not privy to their financials. Oftentimes, you have people pontificate on businesses and they know nothing about them. I happen to know a little bit about this industry, uh, but I don't know their financials. I don't know what their subscribers are. I mean, we do know it's $2.99, $3.99, $4.99, depending on what special they're running per month. I mean, so we're talking about $36 if you get it at $2.99 a year. I just, I don't know how that adds up. But here's the one thing that so many of us, I'm sure, can attest to. How many things do you subscribe to? And you're just too lazy to stop subscribing to it. And so you just get these auto renewals. So in that sense, you do have a built-in, once people decide to click and buy, of a revenue stream where you maybe not have the, the readers. And I would fall into that category. I don't know when the, I don't know when the last time I went on the site was, but I'm still paying for it. And it's like, oh, it pops up on my credit card. It's $2.99. I'm like, oh, I don't really care. So I don't unsubscribe. So from that standpoint, I hope it works. I really like Jeremy Rutherford, big time. Um, I've tried to hire Bernie Miklas before. I obviously like and respect Bernie. Uh, I, I don't know Mark Saxon as well, who's the Cardinal writer for them. If I'm leaving somebody else who's writing for the St. Louis site, I apologize. Again, none of these things are like attempting to be passive aggressive by not mentioning, uh, people when I'm attempting to comment on the industry, uh, it would be inadvertent, but my point would be, I hope it works. That's my overall point. I hope that it works. I just, I wonder about all the money they're raising and spending versus what the potential revenue is for it. But I really, big time, hope it works. And I also hope the Post-Dispatch uh, grows as well. So it's not a case of I'm choosing the Athletic or the Post-Dispatch. I hope they're both there because it gives the, the marketplace a chance to determine what they want in their coverage. All right, there it is. Uh, I remember looking up at the clock and seeing 1049. It's now 1149, and I think it was seven minutes in when I started talking. So I I went a full hour on my solo questions from the audience. Either people uh, have already bailed or they uh, are sticking around, and hopefully you enjoyed it. I always enjoy feedback. Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com. I think I answered every single question that was there. Uh, so I want people to know that if they ask a question and it's within the realm of, you know, I know a comedy can be hard. And so if it's a comedy is hard thing. It's kind of like, all right, I'm just going to fade it. But if it's a legitimate question, I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to answer it. And sometimes I can go into more detail than others, but I'm going to attempt to answer it. So with all that said, feel free to ask questions for questions of the audience, questions from the audience at team McKernan at inside STL.com on the fan page, the TMA fan page and, or, uh, on Twitter, I'm at team McKernan and you can follow the Tim McKernan show at Tim McKernan show on Twitter. Thank you to the Sea Monster for sitting here and listening to me babble for an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, thank you to Nick Yale, our videographer, and thank you to our sponsor, our presenting sponsor, Verizon, the new sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show podcast. We are thrilled to have them on board. Our studio sponsor, Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert, 
com and thank you to everybody for listening as always please leave a review a positive review if you would wherever you may podcast and we'll look forward to more tim mckernan shows here on the inside stl podcast network the tim mckernan show presented by verizon from the home loan expert.com studios 